Welcome to All Shall Be Well, a conversation hosted by InterVarsity's women in the academy and professions. Giving voice to women seeking to live fully into their God-given callings and be a redeeming influence, whether in the university or beyond. In this episode of All Shall Be Well, Conversations with Women in the Academy and Beyond, our guest is Grace P. Cho. Grace is a Korean-American writer, poet, speaker, and the editorial manager at Encourage. In the middle of her years as a pastor, Grace felt a pull toward using her words to lead others in a broader context. She believes storytelling can create movements that change the world and desires to elevate women of color's voices in the publishing industry. Last winter, I had the opportunity to connect with Grace on the podcast where she shared with us her experiences of understanding her cultural identity, as well as learning to lament and be present with her suffering and the suffering of others. I'm grateful that Grace joined us again one year later to continue our conversation. This time around, Grace invited us into her experience with COVID, her journey of sharing her voice through poetry, and spiritual practices that have recently helped her sense God's grace more deeply. Grace also shared with us about the devotional book, Take Heart, 100 Devotions to Seeing God When Life's Not Okay, which she co-edited last year. Stay tuned at the end of the podcast to hear how you can be entered into a giveaway to win a copy for yourself. We hope you'll appreciate our conversation with Grace. Well, I am so glad, Grace, to have you back on the podcast. It's been about a year since we recorded the last interview, and to say that so much has happened since then would certainly be an understatement. And I'd love to start our conversation by asking, what has been bringing you hope lately? A lot of our worlds got small during this past year. And for us, our our family went through, uh, we lost two grandparents this past year. Mm -hmm. And so being together in grief has brought me a lot of hope of even though we couldn't grieve or honor them the end of their life in the way that we had desired to or hoped to just the fact that we can still be together in our most immediate family I think that being together in grief and sharing memories that brought me hope of this is important and remembering what's important at the end of our lives and another thing that's been bringing me hope is being in spaces where I'm with women of color and we're lamenting together. So Mm. whether it's projects I'm working on or just groups put together, we come together. And one of the first things that we do is to lament our Mm. our current circumstances. And on the flip side of that is recognizing and remembering God's justice and God's redemptive work. And, And the combination of that has been so hopeful, knowing that we're not alone, one, of course, but also that God is still redeeming us and still redeeming the world and that this is not the end of, or this isn't the culmination of everything, the hard Mm. things that we're going through. So that's giving me hope these days. Well, I'm so sorry for the loss of your grandparents. And we talked a lot about lamenting in our Mm. last conversation. And it's interesting to think about what has happened since then and all the lamenting that has been part of 2020 and and still even into 2021 it's not like a switch that turned it all off when the calendar changed but right yeah that idea too that there's still hope in it that god is not done this is not the end of the story mm-hmm. that's a great reminder and like i said in our conversation around this time last year we certainly had no idea at that point what the rest of the year would hold and yet so much of what we discussed became really relevant especially your thoughts on entering into suffering with one another. Remember, we Mm -hmm. talked a lot about suffering, (laughs) maybe a good 
bit of the podcast. <laughs> and so then when we were thrust into this pandemic, as well as heightened attention on systemic racial injustice, necessary heightened attention, mm-hmm. the call to love one another and truly see one another became so much more significant. I'm curious to hear how your thoughts and experiences of being with one another and suffering has shifted or been shaped since we spoke last year. I'm sure we can all say that it felt very extreme, that people were on different extremes. Mm-hmm. And the one of the first things that came to mind when about this question was when Jesus would say, he who has ears, let him hear. Mm-hmm. And in my experience or view of people last year, it was people didn't have ears to hear. They didn't want to lean in. They didn't want to empathize. I'm talking about people on both extremes. Sure. And that, yeah, it's it's not necessarily being neutral. It's do we, before we start defending and before we start accusing, are we first listening and mm. imagining, you know, I, I think last time I talked about like our humanity, the humanity of the other person. And I, I didn't see a lot of that <laughs> last year, mm. even though we could say we should lean in. We should, you know, what does it mean to suffer together as the body? Do we not want to see and understand that more? And it felt like the truth was there were people who didn't want to, and particularly in the church of hearing and listening and believing the stories of Mm. those who have experienced racial injustice and continue to experience racial injustice and all the, the nuances of racism and the power of white supremacy and how it rules our country and the church. So that was hard. I think, you know, when we recorded last year, it was probably before, I think it was in February. It was before, yeah, yeah, right? That before the pandemic even started. So maybe I've become a, a bit more cynical or jaded about humanity and feeling tender. So holding both the cynicism in my heart of can people actually be better? I don't know because I haven't seen it, but also having mm-hmm. the hope that is this it then if I just stay in cynicism, then it, it seems as though then I don't believe the gospel and God can change mm. and redeem uh, people and their minds. And, and, and to be honest, that has felt hopeless a lot of last year and a lot of, in a lot of conversations, maybe it felt like that, but yeah, that there's actually a limit. I wish everyone could do that. And, and yet there will be those who have ears and they don't want to hear and only no matter how much I shout or no matter how much I want to say, like, believe our stories. Mm-hmm. If they don't want to hear, it's not going to happen. And so I need to divert my energies, my energy and my work and my resources when that happens. And so it became more nuanced, I think, um, over this last year of what does it mean to suffer together? But there are those who refuse to enter into that and, and that that's a reality in this world. Yeah. Yeah. And in some ways, I would imagine that it's Mm re-traumatizing to have people not hear and not see and not desire to believe that there's the minimization of that suffering. Mm -hmm. And so I heard you say you, you know, divert your energy elsewhere. How else do you kind of cope with that? I'm sorry if I'm asking counseling questions. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So if you didn't know, in my other in my other life, I'm a counselor and I've tried not to mix these two roles, podcast interview, 
slash counselor, but it's a real question, right? How do you cope with people not hearing you? And I appreciate too the way you stated, if you become too cynical, Mm -hmm. am I not believing the gospel that God Mm -hmm. can change people? How do I cope with it? I think, you know, the first thing we talked about was lamenting together with other Mm -hmm. women of color. And I've seen the difference in that, you know, when, when it was a week where the two grandparents that passed away in our family were my husband's grandparents. And the day that his grandmother died was the day of the insurrection. Oh my! And so it was a lot of, so there were protests here too in California. And it was, I just knew if, if I entered into a space with women of color that week, that we would lament together. Mm. And that when I didn't, there was the lack of lamenting together that created this kind of buildup of pain and grief and the multiplication of that or the way that it was, there was no release for Mm. that because I couldn't, I couldn't even cry. You know, I'm so angry or I'm so sad. And it wasn't the kind where something was triggering the release of my tears, which is often, I think, how our bodies cope Mm -hmm. eventually. So yeah, I, I think that's been one of the ways is to lament together with other women of color who understand like, there was trauma that week for Absolutely. us and, and that there's only, you know, certain ways we can deal with that, you know, when you're being re-traumatized or mm-hmm. when it feels like, does any of our work or words matter mm-hmm. uh, when, you know, this is a picture of what it can feel like or it, it is like. And so, yeah, how do I cope with it? I, one, I love that question because I think that's how we have to pastor and shepherd one another during this season. Yeah, sure. So many of us are hurting and don't know where to carry that. And so lamenting together with, with women of color has been the way to heal for me. And we can talk, you know, more, more about counseling stuff, but even how do I trigger my tears to come? Because mm-hmm. it's not releasing itself, you know, as I need it to, you know, like mm-hmm. I can't be sad because all my anger is almost blocking my sadness. And it's a mixture of that. And so, yeah, learning how to find ways to either trigger the tears or really be able to sit with my grief and anger as I ought to, which there hasn't been a lot of space for that just in life, but also because of everything that's been going on. Yeah. Sure. And thank you for sharing so vulnerably about that experience for you. It seems super important for all of us, but particularly for you as a woman of color to gather together, right? And be Mm -hmm. with people that you trust and that you know. I appreciated you saying that you knew you would come into that space and there would be an -hmm. opportunity to lament together, that you Mm -hmm. knew that there would be that space to have your emotions released, to have that space, to have it come out. And it reminds me of, I don't know if you are familiar with the book Burnout by Mm -hmm. Emily Nagoski and Amelia Nagoski. Brene Brown interviewed them probably in October. Mm -hmm. Their book Burnout talks about the importance of completing a cycle of an emotion. Lest we like store it up in our bodies and then we will become burnt out. So, and it's based on research. She's got her PhD in I think psychology and then the other sister, they're twins, her doctorate in like orchestral music. So it's very interesting stuff. Oh yeah. Anyway, all this to say the significance of completing, letting that Mm -hmm. emotion be fully processed. Otherwise, right. We store it up in our bodies and whether that is anger or sadness or you know, whatever emotion it might be that can cause anxiety or depression if we're storing it up. So letting it out is super important. I love that you've found a space with women you trust where you can do that. 
Yeah. I also want to add that I think that that's part of the difference that I've seen is that when I'm in spaces with women of color, it's a given. Mm. We are going to lament together. And I can look forward to that time knowing someone will call it out. Mm. Someone will say Mm -hmm. that happened and that was bad and wrong and hard and it traumatized us. And even knowing that someone will lead me in that Mm. gives me the freedom and the rest to say, I can even get through this week knowing at some point in time when I meet with these people, we will lament together and someone will Mm. call it out. And there won't be a, whether intentional or unintentional silence of this happened, this huge thing happened and it hurt us and it traumatized us. Yeah. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. it's in those places where we're led into lament, not Mm. just that we also just lament together, but that has been such a dear thing to me to know there are spaces like that. Mm -hmm. And I didn't experience that a lot in my life. So this is only recent that I can experience these things. I'm grateful. Nice. Yeah. And that idea of naming what is Mm -hmm. happening. Yes. Absolutely significant. And that naming of it is part of what leads into lament. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then kind of along the same lines, you are the editorial manager at Encourage Mm -hmm. and this, gosh, when was it? Was it in the summer? It was was October. Oh, Mm -hmm. so October of this past year, the book, devotional book, Take Mm -hmm. Heart came out. And right about that time, Take Heart was a phrase that kept coming up for me personally Mm -hmm. in my times with Jesus and just like random places I would hear those two words. And so I saw then that this book had come out and I was like, well, I have to get my hands on that. However, I'm terrible at daily things. <laughs> my goal was to, you know, read each, there were what, a hundred, a hundred mm-hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. And so of course that was my plan and it fell apart quickly, but nonetheless, I really appreciated the ones that I did keep up with. There's like a scripture and a, a little story and they're all from women, mm-hmm. a diversity of women. Can you share a little bit about your role in the creation of that devotional and what you and your team hoped that that book would offer? It's funny because when we first started talking about that book, it was back in 2019. So summer of 2019, we had gotten together as a team, our whole Encourage team, and we had a big, you know, poster board and we started talking about what are some of the hard things women seem to respond most or engage most when we're talking about hard things because maybe there aren't a lot of spaces for that, whether on the internet or in their lives. And so we made this huge long list of all the hard things. And then we thought, you know, everyone goes through hard things in their lives. And this will be, you know, a relevant book for any time in a person's life. So we had no idea, obviously, at that time, Mm. what kind of year would be coming when the book was going to be released. And so my role in it, I co-edited the book with Anna Rendell, who's on our Encourage team. And we got all the writing and all the stories from our writers and some past writers at Encourage. And so it seemed as though God wove that project together in terms of Mm. timing, in terms of the topics that we ended up choosing to write about and even the release date. You know, I I think when the pandemic first happened, we thought, no, summer will be better. Summer is hopeful. The the sun will, you know, kill off everything. And so when fall came around, I think there was a slump of, wait, no, this is lasting a lot longer than we thought. It's not quite over yet, you know, and in the middle of that is when this book released. And so we couldn't have timed that. I think it was providential and the topics were providential. So there are stories about marriage. I wrote one on Mm -hmm. being lonely in marriage. 
Mm-hmm. And other writers have, I mean, there's such a variety of topics that we, right. we talk yeah. about in there, um, racism and being in a different life stage uh, as an older mom or so many things. And I think the message, our heart behind it was we want people to know, we want women to know that they're not alone and that it doesn't have to be a pretty bow at the end of mm-hmm. our stories, mm-hmm. that there is in the midst of the hard thing that God is still there and that we can see him in those places. And so that was our hope. And I think it just happened to be that it came out at a time when we really needed to see that God is with us in the midst of hard things. And that's what I loved about it is that part of not tying it up in a little bow at -hmm. the end of each one, it felt like it gave the reader permission to be where you're at and to seek Jesus in the midst of it no matter where you were, it wasn't like, here's a devotion, a hundred days to, you know, perfect relationship with Jesus, but (laughs) exactly. Grace (laughs) is doing two thumbs up. (laughs) It felt different to me in that sense. And, and I, I think I steer away sometimes from Christian women's writing, which sounds really weird as I, you know, work for a ministry that is Mm -hmm. primarily led towards Christian women. Um, But anyway, right there with you. I think that's why I loved the project so much is I didn't, at least for me growing up or, you know, visiting a Christian bookstore, a lot of the, the women's literature, quote unquote, yes, was aimed, was not about hard things or right. it felt, you know, the covers even would have flowers or mm-hmm. pastel colors. And I never was someone who resonated even color wise with those mm-hmm. colors or that kind of palette, or I wanted to understand what it, what does it mean then when we do hard things or when we're required and we have no choice but to face hard things. And so I'm so proud of that work that we did and in the book and how it came together. And and even the weaving of devotions, Anna put those in order in the way that she mm-hmm. felt led to. Mm-hmm. And that even feels like, yeah, we're nuanced and there are many layers to our lives. And mm-hmm. I think the book touches on that. Yeah. 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 I really loved it. It felt different than most <laughs> devotionals. <laughs> so different in an absolute good way. Yes. And I don't mean to critique other ones, but it felt, I think what I'm trying to say is that it felt really real. Like no one yeah. was putting on airs. So mm-hmm. for me, I appreciate that. I think I've always been a bit more angsty than the mm-hmm. average <laughs> Christian woman, perhaps. <laughs> so or perhaps we're the norm. Perhaps. Yeah. Perhaps we're the norm, but we're just not seeing it. Yeah, on yeah. paper or in the bookstores, yeah. Right, because there hasn't been permission to do that mm-hmm. In, mm-hmm. in many ways. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I'm grateful <laughs> for it. And we're going to do a giveaway. And so Yay. hang in there till the end of the podcast to hear more about how you can win the Take Heart devotional. So fast forwarding. So that came out in October and then we made it through at mm-hmm. the end of 2020 mm-hmm. and then January hit and that felt like a lifetime ago, but it's just the beginning of February when we're recording this. But you also had COVID. And would mm-hmm. you be willing to share your experience with that, what it was like for you, as well as how you endured the emotional, physical, and even the spiritual difficulty and disconnection mm-hmm. during that time? Yes, I ended up contracting COVID in the middle of December. Mm-hmm. So our Christmas and a lot of our birthdays in our family land in December. So everything kind of became nothing during that time. And so I found out and then I quarantined myself. 
But later on, we found out that I had given it to my husband. And, but he was outside. So anyways, all the adults in our family, in the end, I live with my in-laws. And each of us went through the illness and the course of this illness, except our children, which is fascinating and strange. Yeah. And a grace, I think. And it's, you know, this is the first time I, I'm answering this question about what my experience was. I think I we're just coming out of it. So right. ours was mild. And I don't even want to say like, thank God, because it seems to minimize the many, many people who have either died of COVID or permanently damaged because of COVID. Sure. So I've had a hard time, I think, saying or connecting God or bringing God into it because it feels too, it doesn't feel right to say that like, oh, it's by God's grace. We had it mild or, you know, that we're okay and it seems that we don't have, you know, permanent damage. But I, I just know so many people who haven't been able to say that. And then what are we saying? That they didn't experience God's grace or... Right. So I, I think there's, in terms of theology, it's hard to say those things as one would often when you come out of a hard time and you're saying, you know, thank God we survived. But I just say we survived mm -hmm. and it feels like a miracle. Sure. And so even though physically it wasn't as difficult as so many others... The emotional strain of one, I brought it into our home and that being afraid of, you know, I may be feeling it mild, but everyone experiences COVID differently. So the right. way that it tracks in your body, the way that it damages is different. And it's not even, you know, of course, those who have underlying conditions are more prone to the extremes of this disease or the more difficult aspects of it. And yet that's not always the case. You know, it just mm -hmm. seems like a, a mysterious and terrible illness. You can't predict how it'll wreak havoc in your body or in your family. And so there was a lot of guilt and shame connected to that of contracting it, of bringing it and anger and bitterness of how I got it and, and having to work through all of that. You, eventually, because everyone else in the home got it, I came out of my isolation and, and I'll share a bit of that after being isolated in the room for a week and you're so scared, you know, like sure they were bringing, you know, food on a tray for me outside the door. And then they would leave the hallway and I would open the door and, you know, slide it in and Lysoling the air after I do that. Like oh, so many precautions of how do we not let it leave this room so that mm -hmm. it doesn't infect everybody. And then to be able to come out. And, you know, I think the saddest part was, when we realized I had it and we came home and I couldn't hold my kids or sure, or that they couldn't see my face, you know, when, mm -hmm. because I had the mask on inside the home. So coming out and then us not knowing what's okay, or can we, can we hug anymore? Or can we be near each other or even not understanding, or do we do six feet or does that even make makes sense when everyone has it in our home, you know, and I remember my son after I came out of isolation and I was still wearing a mask and he was saying, I took off the mask really quick to wipe my face. And he said, oh, I missed that part of your face. <laughs> and yeah, the, the mental strain of it, it's not just the we can't touch or we can't hold or mm -hmm. it's also like we can't see. Yeah. everything about the person and how there's so much disconnect when that happens. So I'm still working through the guilt and shame of that time and not just of bringing it, but because I couldn't do anything else. In isolation, I think some people would say like, you're so lucky. You have like time away. I mean, not lucky that I got COVID, but like 
Sure, look, sure. You have you know, free time, right? Like quiet time. No one has to bother you. And yes, that was great. And yet in that time, I wasn't productive. And and there was a like secondary guilt and shame that came with. Mm-hmm. I should be, you know, a better worker, a more productive writer, uh, something of this idea of like, we should still hustle if we're not mm-hmm. bedridden. Mm-hmm. We should still be working, you know, we should maybe be working even harder if we have all this space and time and I couldn't, right. my, my mind just wasn't functioning. And so I lay in bed most of the time where, I mean, I, there's books all around me, you can see, but I didn't touch a single one. And I just watched Netflix the whole time mm-hmm. um, because I, I don't think I was able to face, like, I, I wish when we go through hard things, sometimes that we can face the thing head on and go through the emotions, get through it and be done knowing we got to do the cycle like we just talked about. Sure. But the reality is, even if you want that, sometimes it doesn't happen. And only time and the stretching and going through the motions of coping mm-hmm. eventually mm-hmm. gets you to the place where you can face the reality of what just happened. And so I think I'm still processing clearly the things that came about because our family got COVID. And now there's new anxieties, actually. I think maybe even I thought, okay, once we have it and we can, we all get through it, I can breathe easier. And in some ways it was true. We did after everyone went through all the symptoms. And yet I'm more afraid to go out. I'm more afraid to contract it and give it to somebody mm-hmm. as we should have all been afraid before, but sure. even more so knowing it happened to us. There's a heightened sense of responsibility and awareness. Mm-hmm. And as I'm working out the shame and guilt that came from that time. Thank you for sharing so candidly. And I hear that you're obviously still in process of what that time was, right? And really, I mean, it's been so recent that there's still so much, so many layers to it. And in a lot of ways, like the part about feeling like, oh, I should be productive in this space reminds me of even at the beginning of the pandemic when we were all like, oh, we're going to be quarantined. We should learn a new thing or write a book Mm or, you know, (laughs) X, Y, and Z. Really, we're all like mildly, if not majorly traumatized. We're somewhere on the spectrum of trauma, collectively and individually. And when we're in that space, like our brains aren't functioning properly, like you said. So no, it's okay to (laughs) to not have, you know, written a book in your time during quarantine or. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, It's okay that you watched Netflix and (laughs) recovered. Your body was already like working super hard. So yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It's the lack of permission for ourselves Mm -hmm. where we say like, we must do this or you're not of worth or something that everyone I think comes to a different conclusion of if you don't do something, then you are blank and we make it right. our identity as we often do, especially maybe in the Western world of productivity yes. and, and idolizing workaholics and striving to be one, because that seems like that's the way that we ought to be to make the most of this life or mm-hmm. to make the most money. But COVID changed a lot of that. The pandemic changed so much of that. And I don't think we emphasized enough the toll on our mental health collectively, right? Like I I still saw so many people coming out with new things, trying to launch new things. And that's so great that creativity was stirred up during that time. And I'm also, I was also struggling Mm -hmm. to, I feel like catch up to my own norm and feeling as though that wasn't okay. 
that there was something even worse about me or something I needed to fix. And yet I couldn't <laughs> because I was depressed. And, and I think we all, we all still carry some of that mm-hmm. to some degree. And I see that still in myself of knowing my identity is not based on what I do. Sure. Um, and that I can be free from the guilt and shame. I'm saying that now to tell myself that that's still true after COVID. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think even just the reminders from scripture of what God says about us, both mm-hmm. individually and collectively, like the one that comes to mind is Colossians, where it's like you are chosen people, holy and dearly loved. And then, it, you know, it's this lengthy passage about who we are. Mm-hmm. And then out of that is like, and so here's what you do with that. But the things that you do with that are not, you know, it's it's how we act towards one another, how we interact with one another. It's not about like what we produce or what we create. Yeah, yeah, accomplish. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so I think especially for women in many of our listeners are women in academia, there's such a strong emphasis on what did you get done today? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. so just to that reminder that like our identity in Christ is not based on what we've produced or what we've accomplished or, you know, right, our CV or <laughs> all the above, yeah. right? Yeah. It's just simply about being in Christ, being loved by Christ and loving one another as well. So, yeah. And I, I don't want to minimize that we live in that tension as women, particularly when we're working or in academia of that's the way it is, or that's how the game is played. And I wonder how we will just say, we will not play the game. I don't even know if that's possible, Mm. but I want to acknowledge that there's tension there and that it will be a push and pull of, we actually do need to do these things. Mm -hmm. And yet, yes, still our identity is in Christ. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate so much that acknowledgement of the tension because it's Mm -hmm. not easily solved. Exactly. Exactly. For sure. Ah, yeah. Oh, and the other thing I wanted to say is just I appreciated the story of your son Mm. noting. I missed seeing that part of your face. I love when our children say things that we're all feeling and they've put words to it. Yeah. Yeah. I think we all miss seeing everyone's whole face or being in person with one another. And even that tension you shared about coming out of your room after a week, like, can I have my mask off? Can I hug my children? I wonder what when we all are out of this pandemic, whenever that may be, what that will be like for us as a whole community. Will we be hesitant to hug one another? Will some of us still be wearing masks? I feel like I might. I don't yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Our psyche has been changed. Oh, for sure. This, this time. For sure. Yeah. And I can see both sides of me, like because I'm anxious and because I've grown up with a lot of paranoia of being taught to be paranoid. Um, <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> I could see myself always still wanting to protect yeah. or having having that loom over me. And the other part of me just wants to run around and hug everybody um, when this yeah. is done and, and have all the coffee outside and all the meals outside and just be together. It's push and pull, push and pull. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So somewhat related, as I talked about earlier with Take Heart, it's a daily devotion. You don't have to do it daily though. That's not how I did it. As I mentioned, not great at the daily, but we're often very curious at the well about those daily or not so daily spiritual practices that help women stay connected to Jesus and his call on our lives. Can you share what types of practices that have personally helped you stay connected, particularly maybe in times of suffering or hardship? Sure. 
this is not conventional in terms of spiritual practices of spending time in the word or praying or or any of what I feel like, like my answer, I'm prefacing all this because I feel like I haven't heard this before. I haven't heard anyone say like, this is what I do for my spiritual practice, but is to say help is Mm. to ask for help. I Um, love it. And I had to, you know, like in our circumstances, Mm. particularly when our family was quarantined as a whole, we couldn't go to the grocery store, you know, like we couldn't do the things that we do to maintain our normalcy and so it required a lot of and you know in in the church I think we are or in community we are actually good about saying if you need help let me know Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. on my end the practice was I will take you up on that you said those words I'm not quite sure if you actually mean it because we tend to say those things when someone is going through a hard time but my practice of showing up for myself and my family is I'm going to take you up on those words. And so there were a lot of times where, and I have a hard time particularly in saying I need help or Mm -hmm. I'm going to go the next step and ask for help. And this is the specifics of the help I need. Like all of those take some sort of internal work to get there. And so to even make a list of these are the vitamins that were recommended. And this is one way you can help our family or it's very hard to get green groceries through Instacart um, and have all the right items chosen. And so to ask someone, even, even if they didn't offer that day, but to say, hey, would you still be willing to help us get groceries because you understand what's needed? Or So that, that's a practice that I've been trying to be better at. And in doing so, the benefit, the after benefit of it is that we experience Christ in person. Sure. Of community in person and of us being on the side to say everything I receive is grace. Mm -hmm. Right. So the groceries that showed up at the door, it felt like even though I asked for it, it still felt undeserved, you know, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. or people showing up, you know, even the people and maybe especially the people who showed up and didn't even have to ask us, you know, Mm -hmm. what do you want? Or like someone who is in our small group, We don't know each other very well, but she ended up getting vitamins and just dropped it off and just texted and said, hey, I already dropped off something. And I was so I was so surprised by that of, wow, I didn't even have to ask for that Mm -hmm. one. But she gave it anyway and she showed up anyway and she showed up and left. (laughs) And it was just a matter of like, oh, there's not even a way to like respond with the kind of thanks we want to give because Mm -hmm. we can't because we shouldn't open Mm -hmm. our door at the time. So yeah, I think by asking for help, it gave the in into community that we don't often experience of being on the side of need and being on the side of receiving and how we Mm. experience God's grace more tangibly in that place, which is a reverse of what I think I was often taught in the church of like, we are the helpers. And so we show, you know, like- Right, yes. That's more comfortable. It's more comfortable to be the one to say like, oh, I've come in, I'm holding power or I'm holding resources and I'm giving it to someone who's in need. But Mm -hmm. to be the person in need and to even acknowledge I'm a person in need, that that's Mm -hmm. a spiritual practice we we don't often talk about, I don't don't think. And therefore we don't practice and we don't experience maybe God's grace in this way or God's Mm -hmm. provision in this way as when we're in need. Um, And that that's not, a weak part is a necessary part mm-hmm. of our formation. So we understand our, our own humanity. 
our own humanness that we're not God, but we are people in need of, of others and of God too. Yeah. Yeah. There's then that formation, that spiritual formation in the interconnectedness of depending on one another and depending on God, even for things you didn't ask for. And I love how you were able to experience God's grace in these ways through seemingly small things, such as receiving vitamins or, Mm -hmm. or food. It's so contrary almost to the idea of like produce, 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 accomplish things, right? It flips that on its head as well, that here we are experiencing what it is to be a human through receiving. Yeah. And 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 dare dare I say that we, like when we are in need, we give the opportunity for other people to show up. Like if that Mm -hmm. is what God is encouraging in their lives and when when we're all okay and we're pretending to be all okay and we're all pretending to be strong, there isn't a way for God to enter in because we're all pretending to be strong. But when we can say, I need help, even I want to say, even when we're spiritually, like we're doing practices, but it feels dry and Mm -hmm. we're like, his voice doesn't seem to be coming through or his truths are not watering my soul as they used to. I think even then our community and the way that our community speaks those truths to us can be in just the way that it will come through or just the way that we needed to hear it. And so, yeah, there, there's that, yeah, the interconnectedness and the interdependence of mm-hmm. God shows up in those places where we are interconnected. Yeah, I appreciate the idea at the beginning where we were talking about the practice of asking for help, right? It's something that we have to practice because we're not used to doing it. We've, yeah. I don't know when we learned not to, but I do know that at the beginning of this school year, when my son was, he's in middle school, he has one of those letter boards by his desk and mm-hmm. I put there was nothing on it. So I took it upon myself to to put (laughs) the words, don't be afraid to ask for help because he's a firstborn high achiever. And I know that when he needs help, he shuts down and doesn't Mm, ask. And so many of us do that. And I don't know when it was that we were socialized to do that. I don't know. I'm a Midwesterner originally. And I think that's super Midwestern in a lot of ways Mm. too. I don't know what it was like for you culturally growing up, if it was appropriate or okay to ask for help. I think it was more about shame. You you don't ask for help because it's shameful to ask for help or Mm to, uh, I'm sorry, it's not shameful to ask for help. It's even one step back. It's shameful to let others know we're not well. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. And that's why we put on airs and we act as though it's all okay on Sundays at church because Mm. we don't want to air out our family's dirty laundry. You know, like that sense of communal shame um, or family Shame. And that comes from being, you know, growing up as a Korean American and often Asian cultures are shame based cultures. Right. And so that's where, and, you know, being both Korean and American and having been born here and raised here, it was both the shame based culture ingrained in me, as well as Western, you know, the cowboy mentality of like, yeah, we can do it, you know, like, right. (laughs) If we put our mind to it, we can do it. And so, we shouldn't have to be in a place where we ask for help, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it is a practice for me to go and push against both cultures of mine Mm. to say, that's actually not how God intended it. I think that we are so strong. We don't need each other because Mm. we're not, and we're human. Right. That's a good word. Ask for help and you'll experience the depths of God's grace. Mm. So at the end of our previous conversation, you shared a spoken word poem 
that you had offered at the Asian American Women's Conference. Remind me what it was called. It was called Love in Her Hands. Okay. And the listeners need to go back and listen to that podcast because Grace offers part of that poem or maybe the whole thing. I can't quite remember. I think we, I think we just talked about the poem. Oh yeah. Maybe yeah. we never, yep. Yeah. You shared about it. Mm-hmm. And in that context, you said that you didn't identify as a poet <laughs> <laughs> to which I responded, maybe you are. And since then you have posted several poems on social media, I think in different places. And I'm curious about that journey that you've Mm -hmm. taken in the past year of sharing more of your voice through the form of poetry, as well as how you see other women and women of color in particular. I'm thinking of Amanda Gorman, of course, Mm, um, sharing your voices, stories, and experiences, particularly through poetry. This was probably my favorite question. (laughs) Mine too. (laughs) And to even go back and listen to the end, because I didn't remember that we talked about that. And even my my journey of actually saying this year, I'm going to add a poet to Mm. my bio or I'm going to, a friend told me that should be on your list because that shows a different side of who you are as a writer and who you are as an artist. And so I did. And Mm -hmm. it it was an act of, I'm going to call it into being. You know, mm-hmm. um, but the same thing happened when I said I'm going to be a writer or instead of saying I write that I am a writer, the nuance of those words. And so, yes, I have shared more. And though we just talked about we were not productive or I wasn't productive in 2020, it was definitely a time to sit in the muck of what mm-hmm. was and the fire and literal fires that burned of what mm-hmm. was. I, I remember one of the poems I wrote the sky was orange here and I happened to brave a socially distanced coffee (laughs) out in the smoky air. I don't know why I did it, but it was the light on the ground was so strange and eerie and the -hmm. leaves had fallen and something about that of having things that need to still burn and Mm -hmm. that burning isn't a bad thing that some burning has to happen for a new life to come. And so my words came to me and it wasn't that I was a quote unquote, productive poet, but just the journey of processing my words in a different way. Yeah. And it's interesting, the question of, you know, how women of color in particular, and just this past week, a friend sent me an article that Audre Lorde wrote, a paper that she wrote. And she says, I I just want to read you a part of it, but she wrote, of all the art forms, poetry is the most economical. It is the one which is the most secret, which requires the least physical labor, the least material, and the one which can be done between shifts. This was written in 1980. In the hospital pantry, on the subway, and on scraps of surplus paper. Over the last few years, writing a novel on tight finances, I came to appreciate the enormous differences in the material demands between poetry and prose. As we reclaim our literature, poetry has been the major voice of poor, working class, and colored women. And I resonated so much with... Not that there's a lack of resources, that that's not why I went into poetry or when I discovered it or discovered it within myself, but just that it is most economical (laughs) Mm -hmm. and that in the rhythm and pace of a poem, you can express things that don't come out in an essay form and that can hit differently than in an essay form. There's more that is on the reader to interpret than when it's a straight essay. Maybe not. I'm saying this right now as I'm trying to process, you know? I think so. And I wonder too, if part of like, you're hearing your own story in somebody else's story, because Mm -hmm. there's 
less there there or as you said more open to interpret you mm-hmm. can hear from it not to say like what you want to hear but right maybe there's more of a mirror it's more of a mirror yeah. than just like an essay form or prose yeah which we know prose does that too like it opens sure, the door yeah. but i almost see poetry as maybe like an open field mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. not one path that you take to understand what the poet is trying to say but you bring yourself to the words and you interact it feels more flexible or something like that Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, you encounter it and you take from it what you will and it will speak to you as maybe you need to hear Mm -hmm. and so now I do call myself uh, a, a poet and it feels still uncomfortable to say that but I really appreciated that paper from Audre Lorde to say yeah And that for me, like I shared it about the Love in Our Hands poem, I tried to write it as an essay. I tried to, but it refused to come out that way. It wanted to come out with the rhythms and the the cadence of a spoken word or spoken poetry. And I hadn't experienced that before. I'd only written prose. And so now to play with that more and recognize that in my head, there's a cadence to my words sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I shouldn't deny that that's happening. You know, so it's been a fun journey of learning more about myself and and even understanding as a child, I probably thought these things, but I as I grew up, I chalked it up to, well, that's just silly. Or, you know, I remember trying to write songs <laughs> when I was younger. And I thought, you know, I'm just being a teenager, or that was just a phase, or that was just however we dismiss our youth and our childlikeness. Mm. I kind of closed it off to say that was that wasn't real and also I'm not you know I don't have a degree in English I don't have an MFA in writing or creative writing so it surely can't be me but to undo some of that expectations or standards I put on what does it mean to be a creative person and to explore new avenues that I don't maybe have the credentials to say I am this but to still say this is how I create and so I can call myself that, you know, I can call yeah. myself a poet. Yeah. And I, I don't know that you need credentials to identify as a poet, right? There are certainly other, I mean, neither of us could say that we're doctors because we're not, mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that raises a good question. If we had all the time in the world, we could dive into imposter syndrome for quite a while, I'm yeah. sure as well, <laughs> but we're near the end of the hour. So we'll <laughs> save that for another time. Maybe we'll gather a group of women and have a, a podcast mm. just on imposter syndrome, but That's good. tuck yeah. that away for the future. Yeah. But yeah, so, you know, when I heard your poetry last year, mm. and as I've read some of what you've posted since I mean, I certainly, I don't know if you need someone else to tell you you're a poet Mm -hmm. in order for you to own it for yourself, but Mm. for sure. Yeah. Thank you. It's exciting to hear about your journey. And I know that the world or yeah, I would say the world, not just the United States, but when Amanda Mm -hmm. Gorman read her poem on inauguration day, we stopped in our tracks, you know, Mm -hmm. so I was coming back from the bus stop, putting my kids on the bus and we came back at the house and we had still had it on the TV mm-hmm. and we were like, whoa, who is this? Mm-hmm. There she was reading. And I think there are so many voices that we need to hear and we're hearing a lot of them through poetry these days. And I'm, I'm for one, really grateful. I think there's yeah. a close relationship between poet and prophet. So yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. And that's, I think that's what we all felt when we heard her speak is it felt like a sacred moment 
together mm-hmm. to have her speak those words and and the embodiment of who she was as a young black woman leading us in that way you know right yeah it was powerful for sure mm-hmm. i'm curious then too speaking mm-hmm. of writers i'm curious what books you've been reading lately or if you haven't been reading anything <laughs> that's okay what netflix shows you've been watching and i, uh, I caveat <laughs> Yes. And that would be all right as well, right? Are there any particular books or shows that you would recommend to our listeners? I will say last year, I really didn't read a lot. I love reading. And I read, I think, four books total last year. Okay. But when this year started, I don't know, maybe I was so hungry for the written word when 2021 started. So anyways, I went through a couple, but the ones I'm currently reading are Minor Feelings by Kathy Park Hong. Uh, It's Minor Feelings and Asian American Reckoning. She's a poet, as I've learned more about her. This is her, I think her first essay book. I might be wrong, but I I think it is. And so the, one of the first things I thought when I started reading it, it's stunning and it reflected so much of my own experience so far, but I thought, oh, I'm going to read this again. Like when, mm-hmm. when I flipped to the last page, I know I should go back and read it because it was so, it's dense in the experiences she writes about and, okay. and the, the feelings of how she reckoned with her Asian Americanness and she's Korean American too. So it felt even more personal to me of, I have felt this way too. I, mm-hmm. I wondered if it was just me. And now she's saying, you know, her too, us mm-hmm. too, that idea. So not, and not only that, just the fact that it's such great writing that I thought I want to go back to read it to soak in more of her her style, her writing from a poetic point of view and a writer's point of view, and then to also soak in her learned experience because it reflects so much of mine. So that's one book. And the other one I'm reading right now, I'm taking a, a seminar. Okay. So I feel like last year was famine and this year feels a bit more like feasting. So uh, reading more and learning more and and I have more capacity in my mind for that. So this one is called I Bring the Voices of My People by Dr. Shaniqua Walker-Barnes. Oh, okay, and yeah. It's, do you know her? I think I follow her on Twitter. Okay, yay. The subtitle is A Womanist Vision for Racial Reconciliation. And mm. she talks about the intersectionality of gender and race. I'm only in chapter two, but I was highlighting so so much of it today because I think so much of my own cultural and ethnic journey has been like I'm experiencing racism but also sexism and patriarchy and mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes I have to choose in the conversation of what I'm talking about like is this my experience mm-hmm. because I'm Asian American is this my experience because I'm a woman is this my experience because I'm a Christian Asian American woman like sure, all the nuances yeah. of that and so for her to call it out and to lead the class I'm the seminar I'm taking is racial reconciliation from the eyes of the most marginalized okay and of black women and women of color and it's so it's been so insightful to see that and read that and to see in book form the things I've been seeing in these conversations mm. as we've all been more exposed to it or have been in them or learning from them um, who are we actually listening to and learning from And so I've been trying to be mindful, more mindful, even when I'm learning about racial justice or learning how to engage who is leading at the front and who is taking the mic and saying the words that are not just the announcements (laughs) or, Mm -hmm. you know, the after the sermon or after the message tidbits or a prayer, but who's like saying the, the meat of what is being heard and who's leading that. And 
often women are there. It's just they're being either overlooked or someone else is taking the mic from them and saying, you know, this is what I've learned and therefore you should listen to me. So it's, you know, February is Black History Month. And and so I feel like I want to center more of that, not just for this month, but in my life of I want to learn from women of color and Black women in particular of how they've learned and how they are persevering um, Mm. as leaders. Yeah. So those two books are my, my food right now. (laughs) Nice. Fantastic recommendations. So we will link to those in the show notes if anyone is interested. Well then finally, Grace, as you know, we like to conclude the podcast with the same question. And so here Mm -hmm. it is again. Is there a particular quote, scripture, song, or other set of words that has been meaningful to you lately? And why does it resonate with you at this time? I've often been saying grief and gratitude in this Mm. season and the both and when we answer, how are you doing today? And so both and I guess would be the phrase of, of holding a lot of different kinds of emotions, differing emotions, conflicting emotions and experiences. And to still say that is the whole of who I am right now. So that has been helpful for me when people ask how I'm doing or how is it now that, you know, you're done with COVID or I just keep saying the same things of um, there's grief and gratitude. And I hear that in a lot of conversations within our home as we're processing the grief of my grandmother-in-law passing away. Mm. Of We're so grieved because it was, it felt very quick at the end and, and it was while we had COVID. Mm. So we couldn't be there. We couldn't be more present. And yet in our conversations afterwards, as we're processing, it's, oh, aren't we so grateful that blank. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's been a combination of that both and, and the tension of that. And that sometimes that tension is the most honest we can be Mm -hmm. right now. So yeah. Yeah. Both and. Yeah. Holding both at the same time, holding grief and gratitude, holding, as you said, all sorts of emotions Mm -hmm. or, or experiences together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Grace, so much. It is always a delight to talk with you. And it's been a pleasure to have such another rich conversation again this year. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Grace Picho. To enter a chance to win the devotional Take Heart, please take a minute to like our post about this podcast at The Well on either Facebook or Instagram and tag at least one friend in the comments. For each friend you tag, you'll receive an additional entry. If you are selected, we'll contact you to send you the book. Thank you for joining us for this episode of All Shall Be Well, Conversations with Women in the Academy and Beyond. This is Caroline Trissick, and information about our guests can be found on our podcast page at thewell.intervarsity.org slash podcasts. This has been a production of Women in the Academy and Professions, a focused ministry initiative of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship USA. We value the contribution of podcast guests who are not employed by InterVarsity, and we acknowledge that the opinions of our guests may or may not represent the ministry, doctrine, or policies of InterVarsity. Thank you for joining our conversation as we engage in faith and life together. We'd love to hear your feedback. To share your thoughts or to learn more about who we are or the resources and connections we provide, we invite you to visit us at our online gathering place, The Well. You can find us at thewell.intervarsity.org.